0: Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at q for hillsdalecom or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Welcome back, America. We greatly appreciate former Israeli ambassador to the United States, Michael Oren, joining us again this morning from Israel. We'll take him every morning that he's available. Good morning, Doctor Oren. I need to find out your podcast, by the way, because I've been listening to Dan Senor. I cannot get enough of facts on the ground from Israel. What is your podcast?
1: Uh, So I don't have a podcast uh, because I'm pretty much on the news nonstop all night. That's uh, as you can see, um, we have a twenty four seven schedule here. But I do have a um, a Substack. A newsletter called Clarity. And it is giving you a insight into what's happening here that you're not going to get, I think, not going to get anywhere else. And I'll, I'll explain in a second with regard to the Gaza hospital bombing. Um, and I've been dealing with this issue for many, many years, and I'm going to give you a very different insight.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad because let me set it up for you. I cannot believe the New York Times ran with Hamas last night and with terrorist organization oh. Spin. I could not believe it. So I'm just going to tee it up to you and say I'm embarrassed for the American media, of which I have been a part for 34 years. We, we never quoted al-Qaeda. We never believed ISIS. And now we're accepting Hamas and Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah as spokespeople for events on the ground. Go ahead, doctor. You think
1: this is new? This goes way, way, way back. Way back. So uh, in I have a in one of my clarity articles I talk about, I remember that back in 2006, uh, there were nine Palestinians, Muslim children killed on a beach in Gaza. Uh, the world immediately came out and blamed us because the Palestinian health ministry said they were killed by a, a Israeli naval shell. Um, and yet it turned out that they were killed by a landmine, a Hamas landmine planted on the beach. Um, but the damage was done. Every headline blamed us in the world. Okay? Um, a couple of years later, 2008, during the cast led operation against Gaza, I, mean, I was in that operation, um, Hamas reported, the Hamas Health Ministry reported that 21, that 21 uh, Palestinian children had been killed by an Israeli mortar shell that fell into an UNRWA school. And that number, quick, number quickly doubled to 51, um, more than doubled. Um, all the world condemned us. All of the world. The New York Times ran with that headline. Israel kills 251 children. Um, the UN, of all people, the UN, several weeks later, determined that the mortar shell never fell inside the school. It fell outside the school. It did, it did kill 12 people. And nine of them were Hamas terrorists. Three of them were adults. No children were killed. Right? Uh, and this is a pattern. A, the Palestinian Health Ministry says and this is what happened in this bombing. The Palestinian health ministry came out and said that 500 people were killed in this bombing. They later reduced it to about three or even 200. Um, but it's the Palestinian health ministry as if there's such a thing as the Palestinian health ministry. The Palestinian health ministry, Hugh, is Hamas. Yep. It's Hamas. And just as you said, would you would you quote the ISIS health ministry or the Al-Qaeda health ministry? And would you put it on equal level with Israel? And I'm going to say something that that it, it is Orwellian. It is Orwellian. It is, and it only exists in one case. Nobody else would say this. It's only a case in the case of Palestinians who sinisterly somehow are killed by Jews. And I would, I think, in, in my heart of hearts, uh, just like calling terrorist militants, you only call terrorist militants if they're if they're uh, if their victims are Jews. You only cite the ISIS health ministry, right? if the victims are Palestinians and the and the perpetrators, alleged perpetrators are Jews, there's something anti-Semitic about it.
0: Oh, it's very anti-Semitic and it's endemic. And I don't, and it's in universities and media more than anywhere else in America. And it's, but they have gone too far this time because I think everyone says, what? Now I have to ask you a tough diplomatic question. You are a diplomat of longstanding. I have a new affiliate today in Cape May, New Jersey. They may not know Dr. Oren, been on the show for years, former ambassador to the United States from Israel, former deputy minister mm-hmm. in an earlier Netanyahu government. Many, many books. I like Ally the most, but he's a military historian as well. So with all that background on the table, John Kirby, Admiral Kirby, on Air Force One last night, said Joe Biden was going to ask tough questions of of the Israeli government. This morning, uh, when he landed in Israel, President Biden said, uh, the other team did the bombing in Gaza. What do you make of the language of Admiral Kirby and the other team language of the president?
1: Wasn't wasn't thrilled about it. I quoted about it on. Uh, I do uh, American world media at night and Israeli media during the day. So I was talking about that on Israeli media. They talked about the tough questions and what he meant by it. Um, and I, I assume that was for a Middle Eastern and maybe Democratic Party uh, consumptions saying that. Um, and the other team, you know, maybe it's just Joe Biden being Joe Biden. Uh, but referring to, um, you know, Hamas is, say, you know, the Crimson Tide.
0: Uh, <laughs> again it's, i tell like people sort of can we did anyone ever refer to isis or al-qaeda as the other team and well, he's 81 years or, old or, not. Or, the nazis.
1: or the nazis for that matter i know i know it it, it, it um it, it it has it's, it's kind of cringeworthy i gotta tell you it's kind of cringeworthy oh it's but the it worst it could be
0: just, it, it, just it, he's 81 years old it. he shouldn't be doing this job i don't expect he even, you to okay. say that uh dr Oren. The Hezbollah promised a day of rage. I don't know if that's another. Again, Hezbollah, a terrorist organization, promises a day of rage. When is it not a day of rage for terrorist organizations? But they promised. What What was October 7th? I want to know. Yeah, that's it. And so what are they planning and what is Israel going? Are we going to let, by we, I mean the civilized world, let Hezbollah start the war or is Israel going to preempt the war on the north?
1: oh you I mean Hezbollah. It, it well as you know my i've had i've come out publicly about this too questioning whether we we should maybe leave hamas for last as hamas is not going anywhere and um, this is another article that's on clarity by the way i talk about okay. the possibility that israel just might deal with hezbollah first rather than hamas and i give all the strategic reasons for it um i think i got a feeling that the americans are very much opposed to it but uh it, it has a very strong strategic logic to it and um you can read about it but uh The big question is among the experts in Arab affairs I've spoken to, they are proceeding on the assumption that once Israel is on the verge of conquering Hamas, when the last of the Hamas leaders are in their bunkers under whatever hospital and we've got them surrounded, uh, and we're flooding those bunkers with whatever whatever we're going to flood it with, that's when Hezbollah is going to come in. Because Hezbollah, as a rival terrorist organization, as a Shiite organization, the Hamas is Sunni, cannot sit by the sideline. Uh, while this is happening, and maintain the legitimacy, the, their Islamic legitimacy. Um, and they will then come in by unleashing 150,000 rockets at us. And that'll be something like four or five, 6,000 rockets a day. And and none of our anti-missile systems can withstand that, none, It'd be overwhelmed. Um, and we'll see what the United States does. I personally think that that Biden will pull the trigger, but depends which trigger. I don't think he's going to pull the, boot, the boots on the ground trigger, but maybe air, air and missile triggers. Um, uh, the question is, do we wait for that moment or do we preempt it? And what are the costs of preemptions? Are there diplomatic costs? One, there's another counter argument to mine, and I you know, I got to give the devil its due, which says that by smashing Hamas, we will send an unequivocal message to Hezbollah. Um, I hope that's right. I kind of learned that um, that conceptions, as they're called in the, in the Israeli military, can be very, very dangerous. We had a conception that maybe Hamas could be, incentivized to focus on governance and not on terror. Uh, we were wrong. Um, so that's one That's one school. But there's another school, which is kind of my school, which just says, we are never going to be in this position again, most likely, um, where we have 360,000 reservists called up, mobilized, ready to go. In addition to, say, another 100, 125,000 standing army that brings us up to the strength of roughly what the coalition moved into Iraq in 2003. We're never going to have these two uh, naval forces off our, off of the Lebanese coast. We're never going to have a degree of international backing and a degree of my stress degree. We know that sooner or later, Hezbollah is going to attack us. If it's not this time, it's coming in the future. They didn't build up 150,000 rockets to, just to, you know, to make themselves feel good. And they are exactly the same terrorists as the Hamas people. So, we cannot live with the sword of damocles dangling I, over our heads like this forever.
0: I, I want to go back. Uh, yesterday, Dan Senor had on Haviv Redegger, who is new to me, but very, very good as he, for the times of Israel. and yes. He communicated that the death toll may go up to 1800 when the bodies are finally identified and counted, and we don't know how many hostages there are. And he talked about the death The shock is wearing off, but the deep resolve of the Israeli people. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an
2: accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now, 800-702-5400.
0: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. To act in a way and sustain that action until the terrorists on your borders know they will be destroyed. Can you amplify that? Because I want my audience to hear, there is a deep resolve in Israel and they will not be deterred by the United States.
1: Well, I have the highest regard for Aviv Eretzikor. He's a great young thinker in Israel, and he should be listened to. He's going to be an important voice, an increasingly important voice in the future. Um, And he's absolutely right. Um, Yes, the death toll is going to climb, because there are well over 300 bodies that haven't been identified yet. (sighs) They're so mutilated, so Um, And I know some people involved in the identification process. And they said they've never seen anything like this. These people. Anyway, barbarous is not a word. And um, yes, we, we haven't begun to count the military price, which is going to be many hundreds. It's um, already, you know, well, yeah. it climbing up to 300. And um, so that's yes. But the Israeli people, nobody is saying, but I mean nobody, and I'm even including the extreme left here, no one's saying stop. We've internalized that we cannot live here with this threat. We cannot.
0: And the uh, the message that Golda Meir sent in 1973 and after the Munich terror incident is we will not be moved. You cannot make us leave. And I don't know how you communicate that without taking out all the terrorists again and again. I'm not sure what happens with the PLA, but the level of grief and resolve at the same time. America was stunned for a month after 9-11. We didn't get anything together for a month. And Israel is being told by its most important ally 11 days later that tough questions are coming your way. Um, I know you have to balance because America resupplies you and Team Biden is not exactly Team Israel. Is Israel going to just speak clearly? Will Gantz back up Netanyahu in those meetings with Biden today? Yeah, I think so. I think it's going to be. Difficult to navigate. So, what what is
1: exactly Biden looking for? What are those tough questions? The tough questions are this: um, We in the administration feel that there has to be some type of humanitarian corridor uh, for the Palestinians. This is in your interest, true, because world opinion will be more on your side if you're seeing that these people, if these people aren't dying of thirst and hunger. Okay, that's putting it in the in the most in the crassest way I can. Okay. Um, secondly, uh, we want to know what measures you're going to take in the future to sort of Eliminate to reduce as much as possible um, civilian casualties in the north where the where the shelling is. Uh, And lastly, want to know what are your what's your end game? Uh, What's your what's your what's your what's your plan for the day after?
0: That's clarity. That's your Substack, Clarity. Doctor Michael Oren on X at at Dr. Michael Oren and Clarity is a Substack which I'm going to go and get right now. I didn't know about it until today, but we all need clarity in the United States. You might want to give a gift. Subscription to Joe Biden, Dr. Warren, because he needs some clarity, as does everyone on Team Biden. Good morning, Madam Ambassador. Welcome back to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Good to talk to you.
2: Oh, it's good to talk to you as well. How have you been?
0: I am good. I am deeply concerned about Israel. Can we start there? Your assessment of President Biden's policy towards Israel in the aftermath of the massacre on 10 7. Absolutely. He, he's in Israel right now. Is he doing enough? Is he speaking with enough clarity? His spokesperson, John Kirby, said he was going to pose, quote, tough questions. And in Israel today, he said the, quote, other team, close quote, was responsible for the explosion at the hospital in Gaza. Is that enough, Madam Ambassador?
2: You know, he needs to go in with three objectives one, to support Israel, two, to eliminate Hamas, and three, to do everything he can to get the hostages out. There should not be any talk about restraint, there should not be any talk about a ceasefire. Israel needs to do what Israel needs to do. It's why when this all started, the first thing I said to Netanyahu is finish them, finish them, because let's not forget, this is all on Hamas, and who's the biggest backer of Hamas? Iran. There would be no Hamas without Iran. So we need to keep our eye on the ball. This is not a time to critique or criticize our friends. This is a time to have their back and make sure they get through this, because this is going to be messy. And the last thing they need is for their friend to be questioning them. They need to know that their friends are going to have their support so that they can get rid of these terrorists.
0: Has President Biden been specific enough about Iran's role in supporting Hamas and Hezbollah? He has not yet used the term, and he doubted it on 60 Minutes on Sunday night.
2: It's amazing to me, because not only has he, but as, you know, the, John Kirby, the sp- Spokesman has talked about the fact that they have no proof that Iran is behind this. Everybody in the world knows that Iran funds Hamas, Iran funds Hezbollah, Iran funds the Houthis. Iran has always funded this terrorist activity. And that's why you never want Iran to get any money. Where Biden went wrong is he loosened sanctions on Iran. He went and gave $6 billion for five hostages. Now look how many hostages we have. And guess how much money they're going to want to get because of it. And he's now letting the world think that he's so naive he doesn't think Iran is behind it. Iran is behind every bit of this. When you see the aggression that's now starting to come out of Hezbollah, that's Iran. And all you have to do is look at the facts. It was the Iranian foreign minister that was there meeting with Hamas, the leader of Hamas. Then he went to Lebanon and met with the leader of Hezbollah. They know exactly what they're doing. And also, don't forget who the friends are. China's the biggest importer of oil from Iran. Russia's getting drones from Iran. There is a three-headed monster that is China, Russia, and Iran. We have to always see those as heavily connected and understand that that is really what we're looking at. Don't look at it in small pieces. Look at the bigger picture of this and realize that this is why this is going to matter for the U.S. This is why it's going to matter for our friends, and this is why we have to take this seriously and not come out sounding naive and say that iran doesn't have anything to
0: do with it dr michael orm was on the program earlier today and visits with me almost every day since the crisis began in israel today he raised the possibility again that israel ought to strike hezbollah preemptively and first because hamas can't go anywhere and uh hezbollah has 150,000 missiles not the the rockets that hamas and islamic jihad use but missiles do you agree with him about that madam ambassador
2: it's interesting because I've been on the border of um, Lebanon and seen the 130,000-plus rockets facing Israel. I've been on the border of Gaza and seen, you know, basically what you're looking at there. What we have to be careful of is make sure that Israel can handle this different front war. You know, whether it's, you know, we know it's going to be with Hamas. They're not as strategic. They're not as skilled. You look at Hezbollah, they're much heavily trained. They're better armed, and they're better at what they do do. And then you've got some protests happening in the West Bank. So the key is we've got to make sure that Israel can manage and handle all of this. And so I think the best route going forward is eliminate Hamas, let Hezbollah know that there will be hell to pay if they decide to get um, involved in this, and the U.S. should make that very clear as well, and then try and simmer down what's happening in the West Bank. We've got to make sure that this is all manageable. At the end of the day, Israel's going to take on whatever comes their way. They just need to know that we have their back in the process. And I think that if Hezbollah knows that we're really serious, that America will get involved if Israel needs us, that is a huge deterrent if we show that we really mean it and we have that we're strong in our words when we say it.
0: Do we do do, need to do more than send the two carrier groups to the Mediterranean and the Amphib uh, the into the Arabian Gulf? Is there something that you would have said that President Biden has not yet said to deter Hezbollah I, and Iran?
2: What I would say is whatever Israel asks of America, America will give it. And that says everything that Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran need to hear. They need to know we're 100 percent committed. Not 50 percent, not 75 percent, not where we're going to question what both sides are doing. We are 100 percent behind Israel in their efforts to eliminate Hamas. And if anyone gets in the way of that, we are 100 percent behind Israel, making sure that we take out them as well. This is important because this could lead into a regional war. We have to keep this very selective. We've got to keep it concentrated where it is. But if it means that this is going to get bigger, we can't just say it. We have to mean it. And that means we've got to be prepared to do whatever Israel asks. Israel is a very prideful country. They're not going to be quick to say, oh, we need American troops. They want to fight this on their own. But when they ask for something, that means Israel really does need it. And Biden can't hesitate. He's got to give it right when they ask.
0: If they ask for American troops, would you as commander in chief send American troops to Israel?
2: I would give Israel whatever they need, but they're not going to ask for Israel troops. They are too prideful. They want to do this themselves. They want to be the ones that fight. They want to be the ones that win. What I think they're going to ask for is medical help. What I think they're going to ask for is backup and air support. What I think they're going to ask for is making sure they have additional equipment, ammunition, to make sure that they never run out. Those are the things you're going to see Israel ask for.
0: Is the Pentagon war ready, Ambassador Haley, after 20 years of foreign conflicts?
2: I don't think they're as ready as they will be when I'm president, but I think right now it's not that they can't handle this. I mean, we can handle this. We can handle Ukraine. We can do both at the same time. We shouldn't look at this as a either or. But this is a sign that, look, we've got some modernizing to do. You know, the future wars are not just going to be land, air, and sea. They're going to be land, air, sea, cyber, you know, space, artificial intelligence. We need to start modernizing, and that means – Not throwing money at the Department of Defense, but getting rid of all the bureaucracy, the red tape, and start looking at what we need to make sure our military has the training and the modern equipment to be able to go and take on whatever comes our way. Instead of a Department of Defense, I want a Department of Offense. Let's make sure that we are able to handle everything and get in front of it. It should stop being about defense and whether we've got enough to take on things. It should be about offense but so our enemies don't dare challenge us in anything that we do. We've got Emba- some work to do when it comes to the Department of Defense.
0: Ambassador Haley, how would you select general officers and admirals? I mean, what are you looking for in a warfighter?
2: I mean, first of all, you want someone who knows what it's like to be on the ground. They have to know it from a soldier's perspective. And that means they can't just be so high up that they manage. They have to know the fact that why is it that our military men and women are still deal- still have the most archaic guns and equipment out there. Why is it that it took us two decades just to get our military men and women a modern day handgun? They just got it from Sig Sauer in New Hampshire. They just got the modern day handguns. You know, I've actually shot the new guns before my husband shot them and he's in the military because they just came out with them. These are things that are heavy. They're not, you know, they're not making it flexible for military men and women to move and function. We've got to start saying, what does a modern-day soldier need? And we need generals that understand that. We also need generals that don't say no. They say, how do we win? How do we make sure our allies win? What do we have if we were to take on a dual or triple front war? Are we ready? What do we need to be ready? And stop with all the gender pronoun classes. Stop with all this political correctness that's happened in the Department of Defense. Stop with all these favorites of defense companies and start saying, let's get our military men and women trained, ready with the best equipment, best ammunition, so that we can take on whatever comes our way.
0: Ambassador Nikki Haley, yesterday, Vice President Harris uh, endured a polemic from the audience at Northern Arizona University, which accused Israel of genocide and a blood libel that they had struck the hospital. She did not respond to that in any way that is, in my estimate, uh, appropriate. It should have been denounced as a blood libel. I don't know if you've seen that, but if you encounter people on the campaign trail who express blood libels against Israel, what will Nikki Haley say?
2: I would basically say that, look, every, America always needs to know the difference between right and wrong, always needs to know the difference between good and evil, and always needs to have moral clarity. Moral clarity is what we saw happen in Israel was bloodthirsty It was beyond brutal. It was torturous. And no matter what anyone else says, you have to see Hamas for what they were. They're murderers. And we we have to make them pay. There is no issue with calling them the terrorists that they are. There is no issue with saying Iran is behind this terrorism. There is no issue to say that we need to eliminate them off of the face of the earth. And the problem with Kamala, And the reason I didn't see what she said, but I'm not surprised because this all started with Obama. Obama was an Iranian sympathizer from the very beginning. We saw that when he started the Iran deal. We saw that when in the transition from Obama to Trump, he went and had a U.N. resolution heavily criticized and humiliated Israel. We see that now with Biden falling all over himself to get back into an Iran deal. We see that with him loosening sanctions on Iran. It's no wonder that we see anyone in the Biden administration wanting to side with Iran, wanting not to call them out for what they are. That is not moral clarity. We have to always have moral clarity, especially now. And especially with Israel going into this war, God help us if we don't. But anybody who wants to question what happened on that horrible day and say that Israelis weren't murdered in the most brutal way does not have moral clarity and does not have the right to lead our country.
0: Finally, Madam Ambassador, John Podhortz is a friend of mine, editor of Commentary. He posted a tweet about a half an hour ago when we're talking. But it's complicated. I want to give you a chance to answer it, but I want to read it for you. We who, and this is John Podhortz, we who see Israel and the Jewish people's future at stake must reckon with the fact that the combined forces of Insta News and social media propaganda are designed to debilitate us emotionally, and we need to figure out how to inoculate ourselves from their effects. Do you agree with John about Insta News and social media? And if so, how do supporters of Israel, and especially Jewish Americans, inoculate themselves against our media, against our academy, and against basically a a portion of the Democratic Party that just does not get the more clarity that you just referred to?
2: Well, first of all, let's take on social media. So when you look at social media, you know, you had Section 230 that basically had these social media giants say, look, you know, we want freedom of speech, but we don't want to be held liable for anything anyone says. At the time, it seemed fair enough. But what's happening now? The social media giants are deciding what's right and wrong. That means Section 230 should no longer apply to them. That's number one, the thing that we need to take on. The second thing is understand this is a national security issue. These you've got Iranian actors, North Korean actors, Russian actors and Chinese actors going in there spreading misinformation. That's only going to get worse. That is why the the social media giants need to go and verify every single person that's on social media. They should have to prove who they are. When you do that, you get rid of all of these Iranian Chinese and Russian bots that are out there spreading misinformation and it becomes a national security cleanse when you do that. That's the next thing. The third thing is we've seen a beautiful thing happen in our universities where our donors are saying, you know what? Hate is hate. That's not freedom of speech. When you talk killing Jews, when you talk about, you know, lifting up a murderous organization like Hamas, that's hate. That's murderous threats. And that cannot be tolerated. And the fact that they're pulling away funding, the fact that they're dropping off these boards, the fact that they're telling universities, look, you don't get to hide behind the blanket of free speech anymore. You can't go and allow people to feel threatened on your campuses. That's exactly what needs to happen. The next thing after that should be government funding pulled from universities that don't Prevent hate from happening right there on their campuses. We need to be strong on this. We need to be hard on this. We need to see this for what it is, whether it's social media, whether it's on college campuses, whether it's anyone. Universities have to be held accountable. Our social media actors have to be held accountable. And we need to make sure that we see this as the national security threat that it is.
0: Last question, Madam Ambassador. That took longer than 60 seconds to say. Salem Media is co-sponsoring the debate with NBC News, co-moderating the debate with NBC News in Miami. Do you think that the candidates need more time and better rules to stop over-talking and interruption and clarity and and more time?
2: What I would love is, you know, as a candidate, I want to make sure that people hear what my solutions are, what what I want to do. I would love to see two minutes given for an answer, Um, You can still keep the 30 seconds or go to 45 seconds for a rebuttal, but two minutes to actually, one, answer the question, but two, give a solution to go on with it. And I'd love for them to cut the mic, cut the mic so that everybody can hear. You can have the rebuttals. That's when you can have more of a debate. I know the media outlets want to see the scrum. They want to see us go back and forth. But I think Americans actually want to hear what we have to say. And I think that that's what, as a candidate, I would love to see have happen.
0: Senator uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley, thank you for joining me this morning. Keep coming back. I appreciate your doing so.
2: Thanks. Go to nikkihaley.com and join
0: us. Thank you, Madam Ambassador. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Senator Tim Scott is running for president. The senator from South Carolina joins me. Good morning, Senator Scott. Welcome back.
3: Good morning, Hugh. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate that.
0: President Biden is in Israel as we speak. He has said today that the quote other team, close quote, is responsible for the explosion at the hospital in Gaza. But on the way over, John Kirby, his spokesperson, said he was going with tough questions for Israel. Is President Biden doing enough for our ally Israel in its hour of grief and as the danger continues to mount for the Jewish state?
3: The answer is simply no. I'm I'm glad he wants to go over there and be helpful. Unfortunately, his comments show daylight between the administration and 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 the Jewish state. One of the things you can't say is we're going to ask tough questions. John Kirby finds himself out of sync with the notion of shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder and back-to-back, back. that comment sends a signal. And at the same time, I believe that their strategy is to appease somebody on the other side of this issue. And unfortunately, what we've seen is Abbas says from the PA, we're not meeting with them. Uh, Jordan, questions. What we're starting to see is that the weakness of this American president has been felt. And it is reverberating around the Middle East. That is bad news for shoulder to shoulder and no daylight. I said it before you, and I'll say it again. I find the Biden administration to be complicit. It's the weakness on the global stage that invites attacks. It is the negotiations, six billion dollars that helps to fund the attacks. And once again, the first response from this administration was to refrain from responding the message they sent to Israel. That combination, plus the words of John Kirby, only reinforces that this president needs to grow a backbone.
0: The president has not yet named Iran as responsible in any way, shape, or form for the massacre on uh, 10-7. Do you hold Iran responsible, Senator Scott?
3: Absolutely. One of the things I've said very consistently is the $6 billion funds terrorism. How do we know that 90% of the money that goes to Hamas comes from Iran? What did Hamas say very quickly after the attack? Thank you to Iran. What did the president from Tehran say? The president of Iran says, we will use the money any way we want, Hugh. I can't think of better breadcrumbs that leads to one conclusion. Iran, the largest state supporter of terrorism in the world. The strongest backers of Hamas and who controls Hezbollah has been clear about their intentions. Hamas and their doctrine is not simply to wipe Israel off the map, it's to eliminate every Jewish person on the planet and they hate Western democracy. All that links back to the ability to have the resources from Iran to carry out these devastating, disgusting, evil attacks.
0: Senator Scott, you're running for the nomination against a a field of people that have a lot of national security credentials and against a former president who was commander in chief for four years. How are you going to distinguish your ability to handle these crises versus their ability and Joe Biden's ability to handle these crises?
3: Well, that's a great question. And thank you for asking. I do think it's important to note that the, all the sanctions that we have around the world flows through the committee that I'm the leading Republican on, the Banking Committee. So when we talk about the ability to sanction foreign countries, it flows through the Banking Committee. When you think about the challenges that we frankly have on our southern border by my legislation that I created earlier this year that sanctions the accounts and freezes the assets of the Mexican cartels that I got passed through the Senate uh, Banking Committee and frankly is now part of the National Defense Fund. That is a banking opportunity for sanctions. You think about the Finance Committee that I sit upon for the last decade, where I have an opportunity to talk through trade deals, negotiation, uh, those things flow through the Finance Committee. My time on the Senate Armed Services Committee, understanding the actual threats that we face around the world In addition to the transition from the counterterrorism strategy uh, under Jim Mattis, General Jim Mattis, to the current near-peer competitor strategy that we have, we are going to have to, once again, reinforce our standing by being able to have three conflicts on three different continents. That happens through the experience I've had. And then I'm on the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, Those experiences, uh, over 10 years, I match that against anybody.
0: So, Senator, you saw the announcement NBC and Salem are, are co-moderating the next debate in Miami. Do you think that debate should be focused on national security predominantly given the world crisis that we're in?
3: There's no doubt that it should be a serious part of our debate. Probably half the time that we spend should be where we are from a national security standpoint, from our southern border to the three conflicts that we're going to have to be prepared for, whether that's in the Indo-Pacific, Middle East, Eastern Europe. Frankly, we have real challenges in South America. We've seen socialism spread like a cancer. We also have, without a question, here at home, we think about the importance of our national security apparatus, the most powerful weapon, the greatest deterrent that is non-kinetic, is our economy. If we're not having a serious conversation about Weaponizing our economy by having supply chain resiliency—we're not actually having a conversation about our national security. We do have foreign threats, but the strongest weapons we have is an industrial base that builds things here at home. Not understanding that, you miss the actual picture of national security.
0: Senator Tim Scott, thank you for joining me. Vote Tim Scott is his website. Vote Tim Scott com. Senator, keep coming back. I appreciate you making time this morning in a busy schedule. Look forward to seeing you. Thank you, Senator. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Senator Joni Ernst joins me now. It's always a pleasure to have you, Senator. Welcome. Great to have you back.
4: Thanks what so you, much. Hugh.
0: What do you make of President Biden saying the other team did it uh, on the ground in Israel today? I'm just kind of stunned. But what do you think?
4: Well, I'm glad he's acknowledging that it was not Israel. But he needs to call out Hamas. And not only does he need to call out Hamas, he also needs to call out those that are funding Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad and all of these other terrorist organizations. And, Hugh, we all full well know that that is Iran.
0: Now, let me ask you, I'm going to come back to Iran, Senator Ernst. But the New York Times ran with the story last night, as did a number of other major media outlets that the Israelis had hit a hospital and they used the Palestinian Health Authority, which is a front of Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization. No one ever put out bulletins trusting ISIS or Al Qaeda. They should not put out bulletins trusting Hamas, Islamic Jihad or Hezbollah. Do you talk to members of the media about that? It was astonishing last night that the New York Times ran with that.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, jumping to conclusions and pointing the finger at Israel. But this is what we have seen in the past as well, is that the resolve and and the unity surrounding Israel often fades away by those on uh, the far left. And again, pointing the finger at the media. Um, we now know it, it seems that it was not Israel. And so we need to push that message out there. But the damage is already done when these outlets continue to jump to the conclusion that it's Israel's fault and that they were targeting this hospital, which is absolutely untrue.
0: There was a firebombing of, I believe, a synagogue in Berlin this morning. There have been anti-Semitic incidents all over the United States. Many universities completely collapsed in their moral clarity that came instantly in the aftermath of other incidents in the United States. What is wrong with the left in this country, Senator Ernst? This is not hard. They, uh, 1,400 Israelis plus were slaughtered 11 days ago.
4: Yeah, exactly. And I was in Israel just right after the Hamas attack. Oh. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. I was able to visit with Americans and Israeli families that had lost loved ones had seen their parents taken away uh, from their homes, dragged into the Gaza Strip. Uh, Babies that had been murdered, children whose hands were tied in front of them and then shot point blank in the head. Uh, This is terrorism at its absolute worst, and we can't allow them to get away with it. And where is... The far left on this? Why are they not decrying all of these student organizations that are out there cheering on Hamas? Why are they not firing these professors at these universities that are saying this is exhilarating? What is exhilarating? Seeing innocent civilians being slaughtered. This is absolutely inhumane. And we have to call them out on this. Um, and the president The leader of the free world should be out there decrying all of these activities across the United States and the people that are perpetuating this falsehood that Hamas is some heroic organization.
0: Now, let's turn to Iran, Senator Ernst. I wasn't aware that you had been in Israel. And please expand on the details of that visit if you can. But I I'm waiting for the president of the United States to say Iran is guilty because they are. They have sponsored Hamas forever. They are. Hezbollah is just Iran. Iran is just Hezbollah. And so is Hamas. Not sure about Islamic jihad, but they might be. But I just don't know. What is your estimate of Iran's culpability for the terrorist attack on 10-7 and the ongoing attacks on Israel from both the north and the south? 93%
4: 93% of the funding for Hamas comes directly from Iran. Um, so there you have it, Hugh. They may not have planned the attack, but most certainly they enabled the attack. Um, they also fund 100% of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. We know that they fund the Houthis and Hezbollah. Iran is behind it, no doubt about it. So Hugh, I led a bipartisan delegation into the Middle East and we went to, uh, I went to UAE, met up with my delegation in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, went on to Bahrain. And from Bahrain, we were scheduled to go into Israel. I was to speak at the N7 conference in Israel. Unfortunately, as we were waking up in Saudi, getting ready to go to Bahrain, we found out about the attacks on Israel. So our itinerary was um, disturbed. We, We had to replan. We ended up going to Jordan in a holding pattern until I could get into Israel. I was very forceful about it. I had Democratic members that also said, Senator, if you're going in, we're going in with you. We went in. Because we wanted to show uh, the Is- Israelis and their leadership that we stand united, shoulder to shoulder with them. And in the face of terrorism, we are going to be there for them. So we went in, Democrats and, and I, we spoke in one voice, supporting Israel and the people of this Jewish state.
0: Thank you for doing that, Senator. Now, you're the first person I can ask about this, and I really appreciate it. UAE, the United Arab Emirates, is our closest ally in the Muslim and Arab worlds. It just is. Uh, They have fought alongside of our troops in Yemen, in, um, in Afghanistan. They have worked in Yemen for years. They are our little Sparta ally, Jim Mattis calls them. What was the reaction in the UAE? After the massacre, what did you hear behind closed doors? And I, if someone's off the record, they're off the record. I don't want you to tell their name. But what did you hear?
4: Yes. And I actually was in the UAE prior to the attack. The attack happened while we were in the Middle East. But when I did meet with MBZ, um, it was a, a wonderful discussion because you're right. They are such a close friend and ally. But I will just tell you that uh, that their leadership in UAE has been extremely concerned about the lack of leadership in the United States of America. Um, So there are great concerns there and they feel that we have neglected our friendship with their nation. And so there was already this growing concern. They felt like they entered into the Abraham Accords and yet they haven't seen the full extent of the benefits of the Abraham Accords because our president has not aligned himself closely with that region. So there was disappointment already before these attacks. Um, so I haven't visited with MBZ since the attacks, but they truly are such a good ally, which is why I've spent uh, a considerable amount of time working with their leadership visiting with MBZ, because I think they're extremely important to us. Now, when we went into Saudi Arabia, we had the entire delegation there. We had a very optimistic meeting with the crown prince, MBS, and we felt very good about where we were going with is the Israeli-Saudi Arabia peace agreement. And oddly enough, then that next morning when we woke up, is when we saw Hamas invading Israel. So there's a great deal of distress across the Middle East right now. Of course, you're gonna hear the Arab nations saying that they support the Palestinian people. Well, we can understand that dynamic, but you will not hear them saying that they support Hamas because they know Hamas is being funded by Iran, Um, They do not want to see Iran with any more power. They want peace and stability in the Middle East. And they know as long as these terrorist organizations are out there, they will not see prosperity for their own
0: citizens. uh, Senator Ernst, President Biden inherited from President Trump a growing and blossoming peace in the Middle East because of the Abraham Accords with Bahrain, the UAE, Morocco and others. And close, close, close to getting over the line with Saudi Arabia. It's all blown up now. How much of the of the blow up do you place at the feet of President Biden removing the sanctions from Tehran, allowing Iran to get off of its back and get back in the game with money?
4: Hugh, I put 100% at the feet of Joe Biden. I will not say that the Israeli-Saudi peace agreement is dead. I won't say that, but I do think that we've got a much longer road ahead of us now. And we have seen this era of appeasement coming from Joe Biden. He has appeased all of these authoritarian regimes around the world, whether it's China, whether it's Russia, and most certainly in this case, and most telling is Iran with this uh, just real, real debacle of the Iran- uh, Iranian nuclear agreement that he's still trying to backdoor the fact that we have sanctions on Iranian oil and he will not enforce or interdict that oil, which goes to line the, the coffers of the um, of the Iranians. And then certainly uh, he allows the Iranians to continue to fund uh, these terrorist organizations. So it, he has truly appeased the Iranian regime, and that does not go unnoticed by a number of these Arab nations.
0: Uh, let me close with this. Uh, there's a presidential campaign underway, Senator Ernst. Iowa goes first. I don't know if you've endorsed anyone. Do you think the candidates, all or any of them, are speaking clearly on this issue to your satisfaction?
4: Well, I do hear from all of the camp. And the candidates, and I have not endorsed. Typically, Senator Chuck Grassley and I don't endorse because we are the first in the nation caucus. Um, but I have heard uh, from uh, from Nikki Haley and have been in communication with her, and I, I believe that she has a very good idea of what's going on in the Middle East. She's very well read on the intelligence coming out of the region so i've heard the most um from her Uh, there are a number of other candidates that are very strong in supporting israel but i don't know that they have such a firm grasp on the entire situation across the middle east but we've got to keep pressing because we know that a conservative candidate is going to do much better than joe biden
0: Thank you, Senator Ernst. Clarity, as always, from Iowa's uh, Senator Joni Ernst. Always appreciate talking to you, Senator. Stay tuned, America. Coming back with Senator Marsha Blackburn. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Senator Marsha Blackburn joins me. She represents Tennessee so well. Uh, Good morning, Senator. Thank you for joining me. What do you make of President Biden's statement this morning that the other team, the other team is responsible for the explosion in the Hamas, in the uh, Gaza hospital?
5: Well, Hugh, it's good to join you, and I think as you probably are so aware, I would prefer to see something more forceful. Uh, actions and words at this point in time really mean something. It is important for the world to see that the U.S. stands with Israel and that we're going to stand with our allies. We're not going to uh, take action like we did in Afghanistan, but you know, let's not refer to Hamas as the other team. They are terrorists. Their goal is to kill you. That is what they're trying to do. They are gleeful when they kill people. These are terrorists, and they are hard at work trying to wipe Israel off the face of the earth.
0: Thanks for that clarity, Senator, because we could use that from the administration. How much fault do you lay at the feet of uh, how much uh, blame do you lay at the feet of the Biden administration appeasement of Iran for the attack that occurred on 10-7?
5: Well, you know, Hugh, I think you have to look at it a little bit further back. And with the Obama administration, the first Iran deal, I, I think you had bad actors. Uh, that are our adversaries began to think, hey, we can roll these people and get what we want. And then, uh, and part of this, this is why I've called for Jake Sullivan to be removed as our national security advisor. Jake Sullivan did not serve President Obama and the American people well. He did the same thing, and that was in that first Iran nuclear deal with all the pallets of cash that went in there, did not serve well uh, for President Biden during the Afghanistan withdrawal. You look at what they've done with coddling Iran, thinking you can appease him and get somewhere with these terrorists, uh, with this latest ransom payment of $6 billion, and President Trump had cut funding to the UN Relief and Work Agency for Palestinian refugees. He had cut it. Joe Biden comes back and he puts $730 million into that agency. That's US taxpayer money going into that agency. And what we know is that they hire people affiliated with Hamas. Hamas has stolen money from the agency. Hamas uses the aid facilities that are in Gaza to store weapons and ammo. So let's be clear-eyed about this.
0: Yeah, Hamas is just ISIS, it's just Al-Qaeda.
5: Yeah, in this world we've got allies and we've got adversaries. And when you're talking about Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea, these people are not allies. We are not going to appease them. Iran is the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism. That's their deal. If you give them money, if you ease sanctions on them, which Jake Sullivan has done and has allowed them to return to selling oil, under Trump they were producing a few hundred barrels a day. Now they're up to three million barrels a day, and they're bringing in a billion dollars a week. Selling oil and that money is going into uranium enrichment, building nuclear warheads and into terrorism. They give Hamas a hundred million dollars a year. They give Hezbollah a hundred million dollars a year. In addition to these proxies of theirs, they give supplies, training, equipment, ammo. They stand them up.
0: Senator, I, I want to close. We've got a minute and a half left. You are a veteran of the House. The House is paralyzed. What is your advice to your colleagues in the House about getting a speaker in place?
5: I think that our uh, colleagues in the House need to get their act together. They need to elect a speaker. Jim Jordan is up today. He is a good man. He deserves their vote. He would be a good leader. But it is time for Republicans This group of eight that staged all this, we've got people that need to grow up, get over themselves and get back to the business of governing in this country.
0: Senator Marsha Blackburn, it is always good to catch up with you. Thank you, Senator. Welcome back, America. I'm joined by Senator Marco Rubio. Good morning, Senator. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. What do you make of President Biden's statement that the, quote, other team, close quote, was responsible for the explosion at the hospital in Gaza last night.
6: Well, if by other team he means Hamas or Islamic jihad, he's right. I don't know why he uses that terminology. But, look, I'm glad the president's in Israel today. I think it's important that Israel's enemies see that the U.S. is committed and that the U.S. president is there to show that commitment. Um, I wish he was a little bit more specific and articulate about it um, in terms of how he speaks about it because this is – What we need to understand is happening here is that this is not just a war uh, on the ground with rockets being fired. There's also an informational war going on. And, you know, what really bothers me, Hugh, is you see the press reporting immediately yesterday, and I'm talking about even the Wall Street Journal, but CNN, all the usual suspects, the immediate headlines, Israel strikes hospital. The source, as it turns out, it's not true. And the source of that information was what they call the Gaza Health Ministry, The Gaza Health Ministry is the Hamas Health Ministry. It is a Hamas-controlled organization. It is entirely under the power of Hamas. And they're going to use every opportunity to try to smear Israel and to inflame the street. And it has real consequences. If you look now in Beirut, in Amman, Jordan, in Turkey, you've got efforts to attack the Israeli embassy and, in some cases, the U.S. embassy as well. For example, in Lebanon, even as we speak, there are these massive protests outside the, the, the embassy in Lebanon, in Beirut. It's a very serious situation. And um, and I think everybody needs to be responsible here when they report information from this Hamas health ministry.
0: uh, Yesterday, Vice President Harris uh, at Northern Arizona University was confronted by a questioner from the audience who accused Israel of genocide and cited specifically its attack on the hospital. The vice president did not denounce the blood libel against Israel. She did say it's important to, to understand they've been attacked. But I am. I'm deeply concerned she does not have an idea of how the world works. You worked with her, Senator. Does she?
6: Look, with all due respect to Kamala Harris, who I did work with in the Senate and got along with just fine in terms, on a personal level, she was not prepared to be the vice president of the United States. Uh, she was picked because the president basically said, you know, I'm going to— You know, he narrowed the list of people he was going to pick that had to fit a certain demographic criteria, but she's just not qualified to be vice president, not to mention president. In terms of what happened, here's the other truth, and we need to be frank about it. There is an element of the left-wing base of the Democratic Party that um, is uh, pro-Hamas, pro-anti-Israel. And certainly on college campuses, we've seen that be the case. So she's there in an audience. She doesn't want to get booed. She doesn't want to get heckled. She doesn't want to scream at. Somebody asked this question, and rather than firmly respond in a way that would resonate internationally, by the way, it's important, and, and echo what the administration is saying. Instead of doing that, she sort of gives this uh, wobbly, meandering answer for two and a half, three minutes, thanks the person for their leadership, and, and really doesn't go any further than that. Instead of very strongly saying... You know Hamas is a terrorist organization dedicated to the destruction of the Jewish state, and anyone who's here justifying what they did uh, is 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 on the wrong side of the of, of the moral framework so disappointing to see, but not surprising, not surprising at all.
0: Senator Rubio John Pohortz, editor of Commentary, posted a tweet just a few minutes ago. We who see Israel's and the Jewish people's future at stake must reckon with the fact that the combined forces of insta-news and social media propaganda are designed to debilitate us emotionally, and we need to figure out how to inoculate ourselves from their effects. What do you make of John's comment, with which I agree, and how to inoculate?
6: Well, uh, let me give you a real-world example of how that's going to play out. So everyone, you know, the reporting is still, in many cases, about the outrage over what has happened and the terrible atrocities committed by Hamas. But at some point, the news needs something new, and it is going to pivot. It is going to pivot to this fight in Gaza, and it's going to pivot to propaganda about what terrible things Israel is doing, how people are starving, how people are dying. Without mentioning at all, by the way, that Hamas has put – Hamas knew that this attack would lead to a massive retribution and retaliation. They knew that that would put civilians at stake. Not only did they go ahead with this, but they hide behind civilians and use civilian suffering for purposes of their propaganda. Um, and um that's what we're going to face here pretty soon. And so what you're going to see is it was, you know, for many people and there were still some that weren't outrageously enough, but it's when when in the aftermath of such a horrible thing that Hamas did, it's easy to be on Israel's side and condemn it. But we the real test is going to come here in a week and two weeks and three weeks because this this campaign against Hamas is going to be brutal, bloody, tragic, painful, difficult, but necessary, unfortunately. Uh, we live in an imperfect world with imperfect choices, and this is the only choice before Israel, and that's where the test is going to come. And I just encourage people: when you see this, pro- when you see this reporting out there, understand that many of these media outlets, in their very newsrooms, have people, whether it's the editors or producers, who sympathize with Hamas and the Palestinian cause and are anti-Israel, and it's going to come across in the headlines. It's going to come across in the reporting. And it's, going to, and it's going to come across in the selective reporting of certain facts at the exclusion of others. So we we need to recognize that as we're reading this and understand exactly what's happening here.
0: Senator Rubio, you you are not involved in the presidential campaign this year. As you know, Salem News is going to co-sponsor the debate and co-moderate the debate with NBC News in Miami. Do you think it ought to be a national security debate or how much of it? it's two hours? How much of it should be devoted to the big issues of being commander
7: in chief?
6: Well, it's the most important job a president has, and it's the most important thing the federal government does is protect our country. And I think national security includes not simply what's happening in the Middle East, but what's happening at the border. You understand, I mean, Israel, I mean, e- Egypt, Okay, Egypt is not allowing a single Palestinian refugee to come across its border. They're not allowing it. Jordan has made it very clear that, you know, they put out these statements about how Jordan stands with the Palestinian people, but they're not allowing a single one of them to come in to their country. So no country in that region is saying, send us the refugees. Only Western Europe and, and Europeans, Westerners, particularly Europeans, do that kind of thing. This country, no matter who's coming across the border, cannot sustain mass migration. No country in the world can do that. And we were allowing it. And that's what people don't understand. This is no longer about a wall or a fence. These people are not jumping walls. They're not coming to the U.S. through tunnels necessarily. They are openly turning themselves into border agents who have been instructed to process those people and allow them to enter the country. It is a blatant, flagrant ignoring of the U.S. law uh, in a way that's harming our national security. Because if 10,000 people come in across the border, some of them are going to be criminals and a few of them may even be terrorists or terrorists trying to enter our country and and do harm here.
0: Senator, uh, is appeasement too strong a word to use for President Biden's policy vis-a-vis Iran?
6: No, that's exactly what it is. It is this belief that somehow Iran is a country that operates the way other countries operate. I'm not talking about the people of Iran, who I don't think are supporters of, of, of the regime there. This is a regime headed by a Shia cleric who has apocalyptic visions of the end of the world and believes his role is to try to further that. In furtherance of it, he believes that their job is to create an Islamic bloc in the Middle East centered on Tehran. And their goal is to drive not just every Westerner, but every Jew out of the Middle East. That's their goal. That, that, that's their stated purpose. It's in the Constitution of Iran. And to believe that you could negotiate a deal with them the way you would with some country in Europe or even some country in Asia is ridiculous. But it is the fantasy world that these people live in. They think that that you can, if you sit down and talk, you can reach an understanding with anyone. There are elements throughout history and in the present day you, you cannot reach an understanding with. You cannot reach an understanding with a government, with a group of people who seek your destruction as the ultimate purpose for their existence on the earth. You can't. And that's what this administration has fallen into the trap of doing with Iran. It's a continuation of the Obama policies.
0: Senator, the I call it the triangle of tyrants. Beijing, Xi, Putin in Moscow, and Khomeini in Tehran. Can that be broken, as Vivek Ramaswamy is talking about doing, or is that a reality that we're going to have to deal with for decades?
6: Well, it's a reality simply because they all seek, and for different reasons, to undermine the United States and our interests in the world. We, we need to accept, before we start talk, talking about this topic, is that our goals, our, our, our um, priorities, our objectives, are diametrically opposed to the objectives of those three. Now, I rank them in different order. By far, Beijing is the greatest threat. They have the largest economy, largest military, most geopolitical power. Russia under Putin is now an appendage of China. They're a junior partner. And Iran's ambitions are at this point more regional, but nonetheless very dangerous. And so what those three countries will do is they all say, hey, we have the same enemy, we're sanctioned by the same people, let's get together and try to undermine that. And they will always look for ways to work together when possible to undermine or counter our national interest. And um, and I think, we, you know, the, the notion that uh, the only way that that breaks is for new leaders to come to the helm in those three countries. We can't necessarily cause or force that. So in the interim, we have to deal with the reality
0: of what we have. Now, Senator, you're the perfect person to ask this because you're not yourself running for president. But should our candidates name their national security team or at least the universe of people from whom they will be drawn in order to provide a contrast with the Democratic candidate, which could be President Biden? Increasingly, I think he's too frail to run again, but who knows?
6: Yeah, look, I think that that's always a good idea. I think the problem is, you know, both because of President Trump running again and because there are so many other people in the race. There are a lot of people out there who I think could do a great job in the national security realm that may not want their names included or, or, or are not going to endorse or get involved in that way in a campaign. But, but I think most certainly to, to understand at a minimum, you know, some broad outline of the kind of people that they would like to see serve in their administration would, would provide that level of contrast that that would help American voters make a decision about what kind of presidency. You know, the, the old phraseology about personnel as policy is true. You're seeing it under Biden. You saw it under Obama and you saw it under Trump, frankly.
0: Last question for you, Senator. Do you think the Pentagon is war ready right now with the uh, the general officers, both generals and admirals that they have?
6: Well, I think they're capable of executing a mission, for example, if we're called upon to have to defend U.S. forces in the Middle East and beyond. We're still the most capable military in the world. But I think our job is to look beyond what's in front of us now to what may come down the road and be very concerned about it. I, I do think that over time you have to ask yourself, you know, what? We, we had a military that was largely built in a world where counterterrorism was our priority. We're now returning to an era in which our national security threats come from global – not that terrorism isn't a threat, but we also have great power threats now from China, from nation states. And, and we need to have not just the mentality, but we need to actually have the equipment and the numbers and the quality and the type of weaponry that necessary to, to engage in those kind of conflicts. And you can't just start working on that. Once a conflict starts, you have to be a decade ahead of it.
0: Last question is political, Senator. There is chaos in the House Republican conference. Does that hurt our national security? And what is your message to the House Republicans about getting their speaker elected?
6: Well, I think if three months from now we don't have a speaker two months from now, then it most certainly is a problem because that means we'll have a government shutdown and other things like that. Imagine we were in the midst of a shutdown right now in the middle of all this. That said, you know, look, I don't – House members don't look to senators to – I don't know if there's any Senate-imposed solution on that topic. It'll have to work itself out, and I hope it will soon enough. Um, It's unfortunate because it's the one branch of government we have control of, and right now it's not open for business. So as a Republican, it's a problem, and ultimately it will be a problem in the long term. But, you know, I'm hopeful – I don't have any backdoor information, but I'm hopeful that that will work itself out here soon and we can get back to work.
0: Senator Marco Rubio, thank you.
7: When the government used emergency edicts during COVID to restrict the gathering and worship of churches, three pastors facing the risk of imprisonment, unlimited fines, and their own churches being ripped apart, took a courageous stand and reopened their doors in the face of a world that chose to comply. The Essential Church is a feature-length documentary that explores the struggle between the church and government throughout history. This fascinating story uncovers those who've sacrificed their lives throughout history for what they truly believe in. Rediscover why the church is essential and how we prove that this stand remains true from a scientific, legal, and most importantly, biblical perspective. This is not your typical movie, it'll change your life. You need to see this movie with your friends and family. The Essential Church is streaming today exclusively at salemnow.com. That's Essential Church. Streaming at SalemNow.com.
0: Welcome back, America. I have to pause from the drama that is unfolding in Israel as we speak. Uh, Joe Biden screwed up again to talk with uh, Chairman Mike Gallagher of the Select Committee on Engagement with the Chinese Communist Party. Also, of course, Republican member from Wisconsin, very well regarded Republican member from Wisconsin in a conference that is beyond chaos at this point. There was a vote yesterday. Jim Jordan fell 20 votes short. He's not withdrawing his name. He's working the ropes and I hope he gets 16 of those to flip. So we can have a speaker in the United States. We've got to have a speaker. I was talking to the senior Republican official yesterday about this. We've got to have a speaker and the inability to get this together. Is such a bad reflection on the Congress of the United States and politics at the time that the president of the United States is doing the same thing abroad in Israel? Um, Chairman Gallagher, uh, your lighting's horrible, but that's okay. Tell me a little bit about the paralysis in the GOP caucus. We can't keep doing this. We're gonna we're on the brink of an international war, and we don't have a speaker. What is happening?
8: Uh, we are self immolating at present, and I get that everyone has their own individual priorities. For example, I think our most urgent task right now is to rebuild our arsenal of deterrence, our munitions industrial base, the weapons, the long range precision fires that are critical for a Taiwan scenario, for Israel, Ukraine, etc. There are members of the New York delegation that think restoring the SALT deduction is the most important thing on earth. There are hardline conservatives who think unless we pass HR2, the border bill, nothing else matters. I get it. I get it. But at the end of the day with a narrow majority, we have to come together and support the candidate that gets the majority vote in caucus. Otherwise, you're effectively accepting prolonged chaos or effectively handing control of the House to the Democrats. Uh, Neither of those scenarios is a good look for the GOP in the short term and certainly heading in. To an election year. It is a full-on geopolitical crisis internationally, and the American people expect us, the party that has traditionally been the strongest on national security, to step up and to be the adults in the room. And right now, we just have too many internal divisions, and it's getting in the way of sound, strong conservative policy.
0: Now, when you meet up with a member like Ken Buck, who voted against Kevin McCarthy Voted against defense appropriations bill. Ken's been on the show forever. I've known him forever since he was the attorney general. I helped him get elected to attorney general in, in Colorado, support him as government. He'll never be back on this show. And he's looking for a media contract. What do you say to him? Do they have any idea at the point at which we are right now? I don't, you know, I haven't talked to Ken,
8: you know, great Princetonian, very smart guy. Um, I don't know if there are candidates he'd be okay with. I think his primary thing is, You know, he needs a candidate that um, is willing to say that uh, uh, Biden won the election and and Trump lost. Um, So anyone who objected to the election may not be acceptable to him. But again, I mean, there is no perfect candidate out there Um, in order to get to 217 and avoid Hakeem Jeffries taking over the House. This is our only line of defense. This is the only aspect of the federal government that conservatives control right now. And we're surrendering it to the other side because of these internal divisions. People have to put aside their own parochial interests for the good of the team here. Uh, And right now, it just doesn't seem like people are willing to do that. Um, So I'm hoping we can sort out this mess today because time's a waste.
0: Is the conference meeting today?
8: Well, we have to meet. I mean, right now there's a theoretically a vote scheduled for 11 a.m. I think it all hinges on whether Jim Jordan was able to win over anybody uh, last night uh, and this morning. Uh, If he's losing ground, if if people are, are staying firm in their no position and some people are switching from yes to no, then I suspect we'll have a conference meeting and then it will be up to Jim to decide if he wants to fight on and try and win over the holdouts or whether we have another round of speaker candidates uh, and and try someone else. Um, you know, Sherman Gallagher, I, I hope
0: that you and Michael Walton, Dan Crenshaw and every other combat veteran in the Congress stands up and says the men and women on those ships and there's now a marine expeditionary unit as well in the I think in the uh, Arabian Gulf, two carriers on their way to the Med. They need to get paid. They need to have appropriations and Israel needs resupply. I mean, have, have we made that point to the to the conference?
8: Evidently not persuasively enough, but to your point, Hugh, I mean, this is why you need uh, a strong Navy. We have a carrier positioned offshore uh, that's far enough not to be in the threat range of Hezbollah or Hamas missiles. It has an air uh, wing with a range of 500-plus miles and standoff stand-in weapons. Um, It's escorted by four Aegis-equipped escorts, each carrying at least 25 tomahawks. So that's over 100 land-attack missiles. That's a strong signal to send to the terrorists in Hamas, the terrorists in Hezbollah, the terrorist supporting regime in Iran— you know, this is why you invest in American sea power. It's something we've neglected for far too long. It gives the president options in a crisis. This is our moment. This is an opportunity to make a generational investment in our arsenal of deterrence and the, and the United States Navy. We need what?
0: Chairman Gallagher, I hope you make that speech to the conference today. I really don't care who speaker is, but we do have to make that investment. Chairman Mike Gallagher, thank you for joining me morning, glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt, live inside the Beltway. I am uh, pleased to welcome WNJD, Fine Day, 1023, Cape May, New Jersey, to our universe of affiliates. And we love Cape May. We love New Jersey. Welcome. It's great to have you. This is a serious show in serious times, and I'm opening up with a serious guest, Mary Catherine Hamm, longtime contributor to Town Hall. She is also, of course, the co-host with Vic Mattis of Getting Hammered, the podcast that is must-listening when you want a break from dreariness and in very serious times, Mary Catherine, it's taken a serious turn as I have in the last couple of weeks since the massacre. I want to go to your edition when you said, where are the adults? Because that that's what I've been asking. President Biden today in Israel says Gaza hospital blast appears to have been caused by, quote, the other team. What do you think of that? Where are the adults?
9: Where are the adults in any industry, right? Because we watched the media Uh, just run with a Hamas claim last night. And look, I've seen this movie before. We've seen this movie before. Even though the pitch about Biden was that it was the adults back in charge, that these were the adults in the room, that he was going to be the normal force. Two weeks ago, or what it was, 11 days ago, or right after this happened, on Fox News Sunday, right afterwards, I said, look, his speech was correct. The words are correct. Let's wait two weeks and see where we are on that full-throated defense. And it's been 11 days today and we're at he's going to go to Israel and say, mm, should you guys be really doing all of this? I can't imagine how Americans would react if Israelis PM came to America and told us after 9-11, don't do anything. You don't need to do any ground invasions. You don't need to do like, look, obviously, in our policy, mistakes were made post 9-11. But that does, it does not follow that retaliating is always wrong.
0: Yeah, and Mary Catherine, I, I believe very much that Israel has always followed the laws of war as closely as we have. I know that their attacks measure up to any standard of of uh, international law or the laws of war. they understand philosophically. When John Kirby said on Air Force One en route to Israel, the president's in Israel right now. He's doing his meetings right now. John Kirby, Admiral Kirby, his national security spokesman said Joe Biden was going to ask Israel tough questions. OK, what is that? supposed? You've been a journalist a long time. What is that supposed to communicate to the journalists? Unpack that for me.
9: Yeah, that's communicating that he's not going there in defense of Israel. He's not going there as a uh, no light between us ally. <laughs> he's going to start pressuring them pre-ground invasion, uh, which I wonder, frankly, if that should have started earlier so that he couldn't uh, jump into this equation uh, in this manner. But, you know, they depended on American support. And now he's coming to lend that in the weakest way possible, if not sort of be counterproductive. Um, And everybody, when they see that quote, knows exactly what's happening. He's going there to berate Israel, which is just astounding to me. We are less than two weeks out from the greatest death toll incurred by the Jewish people since the Holocaust. And people are telling them, nah, don't do anything. I'm, I'm actually astounded, even though I knew this would happen.
0: There are 200 hostages as well, maybe as many as 250. I listen to Dan Senor every day as well. You're the uh, the podcast of choice of the Fetching Mrs. Hewitt, but I've gone to Don Senor as well as Getting Hammered because Dan Senor has got great guests every day. They expect the death toll may go as high as 1,800 from ten seven. They can't identify their dead. It's been 11 days and the president is saying, oh, I think the other team blew up their own hospital a, it's, it's just completely indifferent to the suffering of the people in the hospital, which probably included people on dialysis machines, infants in uh, premature baby wards, the kind of the people think that are absolutely got nothing to do with this war. But Hamas is a terrorist organization. The rocket was launched by Islamic Jihad, another terrorist organization. I don't think I've heard anyone yet. Correct me if, if you have. I don't think I've heard anyone on Team Biden say Hamas is a terrorist organization. Don't believe anything they say. Islamist jihad is a terrorist organization. Don't believe anything they say. Hezbollah is an arm of Iran. Don't believe anything they say. Have you heard anyone with that kind of clarity?
9: No, I have not. And that would be the clearest thing to know in the wake of this attack, right? The thing that's so frustrating about that rocket falling is that immediately afterwards, without the administration saying, hey, don't believe Hamas and its spokespeople immediately, is that the press runs with this, despite the fact that they know very well that in Israel who does follow rules and actually has a number of victims before it goes running to the press, right? This is why they can't count their dead yet is because they actually verify it. Um, Hamas just makes up a number. This, this, this rocket lands, now we see pictures of probably in the parking lot adjacent to this hospital, Um, It's unclear what the number uh, of dead is. It's very unclear. (laughs) Of course, we have no evidence that it came from Israel except for Hamas's word. If someone in the administration pointed that out, it would at least make media maybe slightly more shy about running with this nonsense from the second it comes out, which, by the way, of course, inflames people all over the world.
0: Mary Catherine, the media angle and the university angle are two things I wanted to put to you. There are no adults in academia, at least in elite universities. You know, I don't know about Georgia, but both of my alma maters have fallen flat on their face. Our friend Guy Benson's beloved Northwestern has fallen flat on its face. University of California, Davis, fetching Mrs. Hewitt's alma mater. University of California, Los Angeles. All over the country, great universities are falling, are failing this test. Why do you think that is? I think I have a, an answer, but I want to hear yours first.
9: I mean, this is, this is a frog-boiling situation where the administration has not stood up to students for a very long time, and as a result, they have been radicalized to this degree. They believe they can shut up anyone who disagrees with them, and their new uh, ideology that they've ascribed to, which, by the way, is at least tacitly supported by administration, if not openly, is that oppressed and oppressor is the hierarchy. It has nothing to do with right and wrong. As long as you can identify someone as the oppressor, even if it's a tiny baby, then violence is fine against that person. You have been released from all moral considerations. That is what the decolonization is. That is what much of DEI is. These privilege walks that you see on campus where people are separated by whether they have more than one parent or they lived in a house versus an apartment. There's a logical step from that privilege walk is the thing we saw at Stanford where a university uh, professor made the Jewish students stand in a corner and tell them that that's what it felt like to be Palestinian. They have lost their minds. I don't mean to you know, put too fine a point on it, uh, but the adults have to be brave enough. The people who are sane have to be brave enough on campus to punish some of these students for going out of line, for inhibiting other people's speech, for taking down posters on campus instead of putting up their own posters, which they're welcome to do. They need to be punished so that people know that the lines are clear and this is what we do on campus. But there are so precious few of those adults who are brave enough to do that, and a lot of them have lost their jobs in the past for doing exactly that.
0: Now, Mary Catherine, I want to close by and thank you for getting up early today. I've got like senators on parade today and presidential candidate potpourri. But I, I do talk to you and Bethany Mandel because I like to talk to mothers of small children. Because right now, I'm very grateful that I was born in 1956. That meant I didn't go to war. That meant I was in college during 76 to 80, which was a period of Jimmy Carter and peace in the Middle East, and that my kids were grown up before the Internet overwhelmed teenagers and small children and the world got into AI and social media. What do you worry about the most? It really would be overwhelming. And I've got a daughter like you with children, a lot of kids. I don't I talked to her about this, but what do you tell I, I think young mothers are facing Really, extraordinarily difficult challenges, including fifteen years from now, when someone's got to go to college, if there'll be anyone other than Hillsdale left.
9: Look, uh, state uh, state schools in the in the red states and trade school are looking better and better every day. Uh, But no, I think part of part of what there are obviously immediate concerns with whether you know we're going to a global conflict here. But uh, beyond that. Look, I think the key for me is having friends like Bethany, frankly, where we parent similarly, where my kids can see that not every child has a phone at nine and that that is fine. Uh, they don't get a lot of screen time. They are not um, sort of that's not the default in our home. And that can make life harder sometimes. But once you climb that hill and you've taught them the skills to be on their own and be bored and read a book, uh Things actually get sort of paradoxically easier for you, if you once you climb that mountain. So having people around me uh, who think that way is very important, but finding those people, especially if you live in a blue area, can be very, very hard. Um, so I'm trying to give them a good foundation of faith, of real things, of tangible things, of a childhood outside instead of just on a screen, and hope that that anchors them for when I send them out in the world later in life.
0: Boy, that is such great Advice to everyone who is listening. Just get your kids off screen outside. Don't let them absorb the toxic everything everywhere all the time. Look for adults in your life and you look for adults online uh, and in podcasts like Mary Catherine Hammond, Vic Mattis, getting hammered. Mary Catherine, thank you for getting up early this morning to kick off the show, because if I just got on a rant, it would have been quite a rant about the media last night uh, trying to blame Israel for the Islamic Jihad's rocket blowing up Gazan Hospital patients. Stay tuned, America. I'll be right back. Mary Catherine Ham is on X at MK Hammer. By the way, you should follow her there as well as Getting Hammered podcast. Stay tuned.